0: Good morning good to see you okay fine yeah, if you don't if you don't want to play I'm good with that uh, anybody have a routine week this week okay all right yeah ordinary just kind of the same old regular old thing uh, we, we are getting back it's that season of the year where everybody's getting back into the routine and uh, some some of us are doing it reluctantly we're trying to hold on to like the last few elements of summer uh those flexible times vacation we just want a little bit more so we're we're sort of dragging uh, being dragged kicking and screaming into the fall schedule routine others of us are just happy to be there summer was great but we, we like having a schedule, we love our list, we like our Google calendar, we like everything to line up, a place for everything and everything in its place, we're that sort of person, so we're kind of excited to kind of get back into some sort of structure, which is what routine provides, right? it gives us a structure, we know every day from this time to this time we're going to be doing this, and then we got these things after school, school started back, Right? that, that whole routine, carpool line is back going homework practices uh, sports all of those things are back up so we're running from place to place but we have we have a little bit of kind of organization because we know what our day is going to look like we sort of know what our week is going to look like the problem that we, we said last week is that when we get back into the routine the routine just becomes really routine right it just it it, it fills up and it sort of stacks up and then we feel like we don't have room for anything else, and we can, if we're if we're not careful, we can miss what God's doing right in front of us because of the routine. We can miss that God's showing up, that like God is present. God God is doing something beautiful and glorious, and God is um, revealing Himself to us in our everyday activities. But but we're busy. Right? We're scheduled. We're, we're on a routine. I, I think that's why the phrase, the days are long and the years are short, has become so popular. The, the reason the days are long and the years are short is because we're, we're, we're going from this to that, to this to that, to that. And the day seems like stressful. And, but what's happening in that routine is the calendar just keeps turning. Keeps turning. Kids go up another grade. We celebrate another birthday. We're in a new season now. Somebody's got their driver's license. We're in college. Now they're moved out. And it just keeps turning, and we look back, and we wonder where it went. Well, it went to the routine. It went to just ordinary weeks and ordinary days. So what we said is we've got to have some way of in the routine of pausing and stopping and seeing God's here. God is in this. God is not coming someday God is not coming when I I get everything figured out and everything fixed in my life. God is present right now. I can see Him. I can experience Him. I can be a part of what is beautiful and and what is eternal. So last week we started with uh, just our ordinary views, just the way we look at a day, the way we see a day, the hope and expectation we get out of bed with. We looked at the psalmist who who just kind of said, man, this is going to be great. This, This is a day that God's made God is at work today. So we talked about just how we perceive our life and our day, ordinary views. Today we're going to talk about just ordinary acts. It's ordinary acts because one of the one of the struggles with the routine we're so scheduled that we feel like, well, I don't really have time to do anything for anybody else. Like we've got our family or, 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 or our marriage or, or I've got work and I've got all of this stuff and, and I am maxed out and I don't really have time for anything else. I can't do this big thing for somebody else. But what I want to talk to you about today is that in your routine, in your ordinary, there are probably just some ordinary things you could do to serve somebody else, to be a part of somebody else. And look, I get it. I get that there are seasons of life where this is maybe easier than other seasons of life. There are seasons of life that are really, really busy. I know not everybody was here a year ago, but a a year ago at this time, I did a whole series on margin, like developing margin and breathing room and space. Everything I said last year still applies this year. I'm just suggesting that sometimes we limit what we might be capable of because we look at our schedule and say, I just got too much, I'm just too busy, I can't do for anybody else because I've got too much, when it's possible that your routine actually leads you to places where you could do something, where you could serve in some way. You work at a specific place around specific people. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't like them. Maybe you get along, maybe you don't get along. You're around the same people every day probably. And right in the midst of that sameness, that routine, God may have something for you to do. Your, Your kids, any of your kids play sports? A lot of your kids play sports? That means that you're not only around the same kids, you're around the same parents of the same kids. Game after game, trip after trip. Place after place. And maybe in that routine, in the fact that you see those exact same people over and over again, you may have a window of an opportunity to be Christ to somebody, to serve somebody, to love somebody in a way that would matter to them. And and maybe if you really took a look at your schedule, instead of just deciding I don't have any space, maybe there there are some windows. Maybe there are some windows as you're going about your life and about your business where you could just do some ordinary things. Because here's what I've learned. Extraordinary acts are really just ordinary acts repeated consistently. Extraordinary acts, they're really just ordinary acts that people repeat consistently. They just keep showing up. Most of the things, the, the people that you look up to the most, the people you, that you think, wow, they do so much. They help so many people. They volunteer so much. They, they run this organization. If you actually looked at what they did, they probably just do really ordinary things over and over again, and they keep showing up, and they keep doing ordinary things over and over again, and it makes a difference in somebody's life. It's not glamorous it it, it, it it doesn't get reported on the news. It's just ordinary day after day. This is where God has put me. These are the people he's put me around. These are the opportunities he's made me aware of. And I'm going to step into those. I'm just going to show up. Jesus does this interesting thing in his teaching about uh, our actions, uh, about our serving other people. Jesus had a way of elevating ordinary actions to extraordinary results. Jesus consistently throughout his ministry took very plain, ordinary things and said, "Well, you don't understand is this is actually a great thing. You think it's a little thing. It's not a little thing. It's a big thing. You think this is an ordinary thing. It's not an ordinary thing. It's an extraordinary thing. And Matthew chapter 10 is one of those examples I'm going to read from there in just a minute. In Matthew 10, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. They've been following him, learning from him. And at one point he says, okay, we're going to kind of do a trial run. I'm going to send you out without me this time. I'm not going to go with you. You're each going to go to a different place, and you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to minister to people, and you're going to love people. And so I'm going to let you go do it, kind of a missionary journey. I'm going to let you go do it by yourself. But because it was their first time, Jesus set some parameters around where they would go, how far they would go, the things they should do and the things they shouldn't do, and here's some ways that I kind of want to protect you. So, so, so Jesus reigned in the boundaries because they were just learning. It's like what some of you did when your first 16-year-old got their driver's license and got in the car, right? That first trip, you remember how terrifying that was? The first time the 16-year-old backs out of the driveway by themselves in a vehicle. Yeah, the, the first time you probably, like us, you probably said, okay, you're going to go to the store. You're going to be back in 45 minutes. Uh, you're not going to go over 45 miles an hour. You're going to take this road because that way you don't have to go through that intersection. And if you're not back in 45 minutes, I'm calling the cops. Right. And and then you watched them on Life 360 the whole time. Right. You would, The whole time you're watching, and then they come out. Okay, maybe it wasn't that extreme, but the first time they left the house by themselves, you knew where they were going. You knew when they should be back. You're kind of setting some boundaries anybody parent of multiples and do you remember the first time your oldest at 16 backed out of the driveway with all of their siblings in their car all right that's terrifying like all of your kids are going away in a car without you for the first time and a 16 year old it's right you set some boundaries okay we're not we're not gonna let you to drive we're not gonna let you drive to florida the first time out of the car All right, you're going to stay in this area. That's what Jesus is doing. He's just saying, I need to give you some parameters. Okay, go out. You're going to preach and teach, give you some parameters. And then he finishes these instructions with these words. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Anyone who just welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who receives you, they're going to get the same reward that you get. It's not just the preacher and the prophet who's going to get the big reward. Jesus said, if somebody just shows hospitality to you, that's a big thing to me. That matters to me. They're they're going to get the same reward that you get if you're the preacher, if you're the missionary, if you're the person up there talking. If somebody just welcomes, just shows hospitality, because, and this was a theme for Jesus, Because whenever we do something, whenever we do a small thing for somebody else, Jesus always identifies with that somebody else. Jesus says, oh, by the way, that's me on the other end of that welcome. I know it doesn't look like me. I know you think, oh, no, that's them. No, that's me. I am receiving what you do for somebody else. I put myself in their place. So when you do the smallest act for somebody else like you did it for me and Jesus said it's like you did it for my father who sent me it's like you did it for me and God that little thing you did it was for us his theme throughout the gospel in this uh in this respect is that any act of compassion or generosity for another person is an act for Jesus any act of compassion or generosity for another person is an act for Jesus The welcome's not just for that person. The welcome's for Jesus. The receiving, the caring, the compassion, the generosity, it's not just for that person. Jesus identifies with that person. Then Jesus says this, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Smallest of Acts giving a cup of cold water, Jesus says a big act. Smallest thing you think to do for somebody else, the smallest way you think to serve somebody else, Jesus says, no, this is a big act, and it's as if you're doing it for me. Jesus elevated the most ordinary of acts to incredibly important acts. Jesus makes a similar point. This is Matthew 25. It's the majesty of this moment. Jesus is the Son of Man. Is going to come in His glory. All the angels are going to be there. He's going to be sitting on the throne. The nations are all going to be gathered around. Everybody's watching. It's just this glorious, majestic moment. If you if you've ever watched any of like the British monarchy and their funerals and weddings and ceremonies and processions, it's it's opulent and it's huge and it's over the top. This is the scene that Jesus is introducing. There's going to be this glorious moment. God's going to be on the throne. All the nations are watching. The angels are there. They're kind of leaning forward, wanting to know what's going to happen next. And I'm going to call some people up to receive this huge reward. Now, if you're in the audience at that time, if you're kind of listening to Jesus, you have to be thinking, whoever this is, is the superstar, megastar Christians. Like, this has got to be the big time, better than everybody else, bigger than everybody else, has done more than anybody else, and then Jesus kind of gives us the answer. Verse 35, Jesus says, "'For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. "'I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. "'I was a stranger, and you invited me in. "'I needed clothes, and you clothed me.'" I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I mean, the way Jesus sets this up, you think he's about to introduce presidents, right? He's about to introduce kings. These are the people who ended war in the world. This is the person who wrote the peace treaty. And he doesn't. Jesus says, this person I'm going to recognize, they saw somebody thirsty and they gave them something to drink. They saw somebody hungry and they gave them something to eat. They saw somebody who needed clothes and they found a way to get them clothes. There was somebody in prison and they went and checked on them. That's who Jesus is going to call forward in this moment of reward. Somebody who did what we think of as very ordinary things. Very ordinary things. Very small things. See somebody that's thirsty? See that they get something to drink. See somebody that's hungry? See that they get something to eat. Just small things. And your ordinary life. Just small things on Sunday mornings. Just small things here. As you interact with one another. We all come to church every Sunday in the midst of our routine, right? In the midst of our schedule. And you have something after church and there are things that happen before church this morning and you're here for this little while and during this little while. There are people who are sitting around you. Over the years uh, of being in ministry, over the years of being a pastor and, and being on staff, here's what I've become convinced of more than ever you never know who you're greeting on any Sunday morning. You never know. When you stop and say hello to somebody, you have no idea what's in the wake of that person's experience that got them here. You have no idea what the brokenness they may have experienced over this past week. I sometimes find out because sometimes after they've been visiting here for a few months, they'll call me up and they want to talk or they'll come by the church and they'll say, I want to tell you some things about myself, and they will tell me about everything that's led them up to this moment and the chaos that's led them here and the brokenness that's led them here. Now, they didn't look broken when they walked in. You couldn't look at them and know this is somebody who's hurting because we all kind of clean ourselves up when we come to church, right? We're trying to get in and get out. We have a routine. We we don't want to get bogged down. We don't want anybody to really know. But I can promise you, when you pass somebody in the hallway on Sunday morning, you don't ever know what's in that person's life. You don't ever know who needed somebody to speak to them this morning. You don't ever know who needed to notice them this morning, who needed just a word of compassion. You don't ever know. And those small things, according to Jesus, matter. Because here's the reality. In the economy of Jesus, there are no ordinary acts and there are no ordinary people. The way Jesus values everything and everyone, there is no small act that you do for someone else in Jesus' eyes, and there is no ordinary small person on the receiving end of that. None. There are no ordinary acts. There are no ordinary people when we serve. The great thing about serving is we don't have to compare ourselves to other people. Like I don't have to compare what you can do or what they can do or this person can give or how this person can serve. I don't have to do any comparing. Jesus doesn't give any, doesn't give any uh, parables about comparing our good deeds to one another. Jesus says, do, do what you've been called to do. do walk through doors that open <clears throat> in the ordinary routine of your life and, st- and stop measuring things. As to whether this is big or small, or this matters, or this doesn't matter, it matters. Jesus said it all matters. Every time you speak compassionately to another person, welcome another person, it matters. Every time you serve someone in even what seems like to you a small way, Jesus says this matters forever and ever and ever this matters. The Bible throughout has this theme of small things matter a lot. Small things matter a lot. Uh, One example, the prophets Zechariah and Haggai in the Old Testament, uh, they were prophets when The Israelites were coming back from captivity, which is its own kind of long story. They had been carried away, and and now they're starting to trickle back home to Jerusalem. The problem was Jerusalem was in ruins. The homes were in ruins. The temple was in ruins. And the prophets were constantly encouraging the people, let's build the temple of God back. Let's build our place of worship back. And at one point, Zechariah says... Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel? Don't despise the day of small things. Let's just do a little bit. Let's do something. Let's see somebody and let's respond. Don't despise the day of small things, which he's speaking on behalf of God. God doesn't despise the day of small things. I can't do everything. I get it. God knows that. He doesn't despise a day of small things, just doing a little bit. And Zechariah says, look, if you you do your small thing, God will get the rest of it done. God's going to get his work done. You do the small part you're supposed to do. You do the thing that you feel like God's telling you to do. You can't do everything. You can't meet every need. I can't do everything. I can't meet every need. But as we each do our, our small thing, God gets his work accomplished. When, when Jesus was teaching about our faith, Jesus said, it's okay to start with faith as small as the grain of a mustard seed. It can start there. It's okay. It can start small. This theme throughout the Bible, small things matter or great outcomes come from small beginnings. Over and over we hear this message. Great outcomes come from small beginnings. Consistent small acts in your daily routine, in your life. God works in the small. God works in the routine. God works in the things that maybe we perceive as not mattering and God says that matters. It matters because every person matters to God and therefore every act for another person matters the small things matter great outcomes start from small things when when the prophet was describing Bethlehem the place that the son of God would be born he said it's the smallest place ever it's the most insignificant place ever this is part of the theme of Jesus teaching small things matter small places matter ordinary matter What's the ordinary, small thing you could be doing in your life, in your routine, in your daily? What's a small thing that you could be doing here? place that you could find to serve? Small things. I, I, I told you, you don't ever know who you're welcoming into our church. We have greeters at the doors. You, you don't ever know who needs a welcome, smiling face when they come on Sunday most of you aren't in that situation right now because you know people here most of you have connections here and so if you don't get greeted on the way in you're going to find your people and you're going to hang out with your people while you're here but do you remember what it was like to walk into this building for the first time or any building for the very first time and not know where you're going and not know how you're going to receive be received not know where everything is we we have wonderful people open the doors and smile and welcome people into our building. It seems like such a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. In the economy of Jesus is not a small thing to have somebody have coffee ready and to serve coffee, to have somebody available at the information desk to, to, to help people know where to go and answer their questions about our church, to have people who can help others find seats in the building when, the, when we have those crowded mornings. They matter. They seem like little things, like little small things. Yeah, all of those little small things matter. They matter because you don't know who's coming to church this Sunday or next Sunday or the Sunday after that. At Journey, we look to to not just have a place where people can serve here. We're constantly looking for how we can serve our community. We're fortunate at Journey in that we have a number of nonprofit ministries and organizations uh, uh, represented in our church, Um, a a lot for the size of our church. And I love the heart of uh, the people here who run nonprofits or work at nonprofits in a variety of areas, and sometimes we talk about all of them, and sometimes I think we talk about all of them, we kind of lose track a little bit. So I, I want to mention two that we partner with. and I want to encourage you to consider like is there space in your routine to, to help partner? Uh, One of them is Chosen for Life Ministries. Uh, Angela Valenzuela in our church uh, serves with them. And those of you who know Angela, she is back today. And uh, she's had a little bit of a health scare lately, and she's in the back of the room. We're so glad to have her back. Don't hug her tightly, or maybe not at all, for another couple of weeks. But we are so glad that she's back, and and Luis is here as well. But uh, Angela has been serving in Chosen for Life. You know, Luis is here a lot, so he's not quite as special. Angela serves with Chosen for Life Ministries, um, and I, I just kind of pulled off of their website just so you understand kind of what they do. This this is the mission statement on their website: We help churches, communities, and families care well for foster and adopted children. And then their vision statement is: Everyone will find their role in caring for foster, adopted, and vulnerable children. We won't all have the same role, but we all can find a role in helping vulnerable Vulnerable children and families in our communities. Angela's been very instrumental in helping our foster families that are in our church and helping us form foster care teams around our foster families. Many of you are a part of a foster care team that supports and ministers to a foster family. But she also introduced to us through Chosen for Life um, a program called Care Portal, a ministry called Care Portal. Care Portal is an opportunity for local defects agencies, uh, agencies that work in the foster care and vulnerable children world, to be able to post needs. Here's a need that a foster family has. Here's a need that a biological family has. You know, sometimes families hit a hard patch, and they just need a little help to prevent their children from going into foster care. And if we can step into that gap, and if we can fill that gap, then maybe those children can stay in their biological family. Their biological family is a healthy place. And in most cases, it's best for children to stay with their biological families. Obviously not every case. But in most cases, if we can provide support to a biological family who needs just a little bit of help and allow them to keep their children in their home, that avoids some of the trauma of a child having to go to other homes or 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 dealing with the foster care system, which we also support um, so what we get is is some of us have signed up to be a part of this team, and so we get an email that there's a there's a family in your area uh, who has this need, maybe it 's a biological family, maybe it's a foster care family, maybe it 's an adoptive family. they need this. Can you meet the need? And and a lot of us have decided, yeah, where we can, we're going to try to meet those needs. We can't meet all of them. None of us can meet all of them. We're not the only church involved. But we have begun with just the last few months. Angela did a training for us. Just the last few months, we've been able to start meeting needs here in our community. And over just the last couple of months, Journey has served 20 kids in our community where there was a need in the home where they were staying kind of an interesting thing about Care Portal is that Care Portal estimates the economic impact of your donations or of the services that you provide or for you bringing something to their house. In other words, if that family had to go out and buy that, what would it have cost? What would this whole thing have cost if we had to go buy it rather than a church stepping in and meeting that need. So over the last couple of months journey We've ministered to 20 kids in, in their homes, and we've had an economic impact of around $15,000, because in just a couple of months. Just a couple of months. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Care Portal, nobody in our church stroked a check for $15,000. Right? Don't don't get scared. This was just an estimate of what all of the services that we provided, all of the materials that we donated, what that would have cost families if they had to figure that out on their own. Some specific examples of where our church has stepped into need. Individuals in our church have stepped into need. Uh, We've delivered and assembled seven beds for a mom preparing to reunify with her kids. without, Without beds we can't they won't put kids back in a home right and so and so our, our church and others we stepped into that need we made sure that they had beds and those beds were set up so they could be reuni- reunified as a as a family provided two ac units to keep kids from entering foster care and provided some pest control services that that home needed to make it safe for those kids uh, we provided bedding and toys to a foster mom preparing to take three sisters, which allowed her former placements to take their bedding and toys with them when they reunified with their biological family. So uh, a lot of times, and, and you're familiar with this, but a lot of times kids enter foster care with nothing or, or with a bag, with a, a handful, of, a trash bag with a handful of items. And then when they go back home, they go back home with nothing sometimes, and so we were, we were able to provide for the new foster care kids coming into the home so that the ones who were there and were being reunified could take what someone else had given uh, back to their home. Uh, another way that we stepped into need in the last few months, we collected maternity clothes for three expected moms. Uh, we were connected to through a pregnancy resource center These young women were kicked out of their homes for refusing to get an abortion And are now preparing to parent their babies Somebody in our church stepped into that Along with other people in our community We stepped into that So we would be a part of support we, we don't just want to curse the darkness We don't just want to say Oh it's, it's awful out there It's terrible out there We, we want to step into those moments ordinary, ordinary moments Bedsheets Stuff you see at Walmart all the time. Just ordinary things. We, and we get school supplies was a recent one. Just need some extra school supplies. Just need some extra school supplies. Just ordinary stuff. Ordinary stuff done repeatedly has extraordinary impact. If a child can be in their home and be safe and have what they need, you, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this just in your regular routine this fall. Um, Chosen for Life has a table in the hallway. They'll be glad to talk to you about Care Portal. If you want to be a part of that team, we'll see that you get what you need to be a part of that team. In addition, as a part of our uh, support for foster care community... We're hosting uh, two foster care training events this fall, one on September 7th and one on October 17th. I think that's right, September 7th, October 17th. Uh, September 7th is with the Walton County Foster Parents Association. October 17th is with Chosen for Life, uh, the ministry that Angela works with. They're going to do training for the foster families. Uh, for the foster parents Because they need ongoing training They need ongoing encouragement and support So we're going we're gonna to feed them dinner And we're going to keep their kids We're going to keep about 20-25 kids For maybe two hours While the, par- the foster parents are being encouraged While, while their, their tank is getting refilled While they're learning skills That they need to, to do the, To fulfill the calling of being a foster parent We need people who just keep kids for two hours Keep it small, really small thing, fits in the routine. A Tuesday night, a Thursday night. Yeah, I can be here for two hours. I can have. We're going to get a bouncy house, so they're going to be worn out, right? They're going to be sweaty and worn out, and and they'll have something to do. We we just need some people who would say, I I, I want to help in some way. I want to show up in some way. You can sign up for that on our events tab, on the QR code. You can talk to Angela at the Chosen for Life table, as well. These are. Whether you see it or not, these are just small things. These are just little things. They're just little things. They would, they would fit in your schedule if you allowed them to. Just, just, just small things that Jesus looks at and says, it's a big thing to me. It's a big thing to me. Another organization we have here in our church, uh, Jim and Melinda Hollinsworth founded and lead uh, Path United. Sherry Kendall is in our church, has worked with them for many years. Uh, and if you don't know, they are a local ministry that is in uh, mobile home parks and, and primarily in mobile home parks where uh, the, the first language is not English. And so they are a go-between, sometimes, between parents who don't speak English and teachers who only speak English. They, they help with tutoring. They help with character development. They take time for children to tutor and mentor and be a part of their lives and to say to young kids who maybe don't have examples of people who have succeeded here in the United States, to say to them, your life could be different. You you could have hope. It's okay to hope. It's okay to believe because we believe in you. Watch this short video.
1: Fire, fire, fire. The latest incident ended in an assault
2: the only stories that I knew about the types of neighborhoods where we were going were things that I saw on the news acts of crime committed by illegal immigrants the poverty, They're to leave hopelessness their homes. in the community that it wasn't a safe place. So my name is Melinda Hollinsworth. I grew up just white America. I didn't really know much about diversity. Everyone around me was pretty much the same as me.
1: My name is Jim Hollinsworth. There were a few folks in my high school who were different than me, but I didn't really know them well. My world was this bubble, this white kind of church going Christian bubble.
2: We definitely lived an ordinary life. Things were pretty easy for us. And I remember we were just sitting around one night after dinner and we were like, what are we doing in our community?
1: Melinda and I both were having this faith crisis a little bit of, hey, is this all there is?
2: But I remember we just sort of felt stuck that night. Like we wanted to do something, but we really didn't think there was need in our community. That a year later, we signed up to be part of a Christmas sponsorship. Jim and I volunteered to deliver the gifts. When we drove into the neighborhood, it just felt different. The colors were vibrant. There was a lot of music playing. It was unfamiliar and so out of my norm. But then also there was a great sense of community, like the people were all involved in each other's lives. We met one family, the Ramirez family, and all the kids were there.
1: The sixth-grade daughter in this family, her name is Maria, she asked us, Hey, can you help with our homework? Because my mom and dad don't speak English.
2: I love to see Friday folders. I open it up and realize they're already failing everything in school. Older siblings already dropped out of high school. The kids who were in middle school had these big hopes and dreams for their lives, but they didn't have a role model to look up to. And I had just assumed that if someone dropped out of high school, it was because that was just what they wanted to do. It never occurred to me that maybe there was a time that they wanted something different for their lives, but just the difficulty of the path knocked them off course.
1: And this was like this light bulb of, well, that's something that we can do. Melinda was a teacher, how easy is that? And then we said, okay, well, we'll just do homework for two afternoons a week. And that's when we met Sophia, was in the spring of 2010.
2: We were doing homework in the neighborhood and Sophia one day said to me, you know, Miss Melinda, when are you guys leaving? That's what people do here. They come and they stay for a while and they leave and we never see them again. And it was like, punch to the face question because I could think of times when I had been the person who left.
1: And then a shooting happened in the mobile home park. We heard that a drug deal had kind of gone bad.
2: And we got in the car that day and I remember looking at Jim with panic, thinking, get me out of here, because it was just terrifying. It was more than I could really handle at the time. And I remember we sat there and Jim looked at me and he said, I think that we either choose to do something or we leave and we never come back. We sat at a stop sign, staring at that stop sign. It was uncomfortable, it was out of my comfort zone.
1: I had a job, we had a little baby at home.
2: As much as it was a terrifying moment for us, it was also the moment where we said, "Okay, we're in.
1: We just know these people are now our friends. Let's try to figure this out. The very next week, the property manager came to us and said, hey, the home where the shooting happened is now vacant. Do you guys want it to do your homework program? So we turned this mobile home into a community center, like a classroom, to try to impact that graduation rate.
2: We've seen how the role models have changed. Now, when you talk to the kids, they talk about where kids are in college or what the older kids are doing. And we're not the role models. It's the kids who've grown up and they've blazed a new path for the younger generation in their neighborhood. My world is bigger now than it was before. It's normal to have friends who live in homes that might look a little bit different than ours. It's normal to have friends that might speak a different language in their house. It's more whole because of the friendships with the people in the neighborhood and the people who've become family to us. When I was in the hospital for eight weeks before my son Will was born, it was Maria, Elena, and Hortensia who came and visited me in the hospital and sat with me on one of the long days. I remember in that moment thinking, what if my being afraid had prevented me from knowing and loving these people who are part of our community?
1: If we give ourselves to others, it creates meaningful relationships. It creates opportunity for things to happen that would never happen by living in a safe little bubble. We didn't sit down and write out a strategic plan. It was just an organic thing. We made a ton of mistakes, but along that journey, we started to kind of figure things out.
2: It's definitely been difficult and bumpy at times, but I would never go back and do anything differently. They have so many gifts and talents and resources. Their lives have changed my life and my family's life.
1: As human beings, right, we're all connected. Why wouldn't we want to make our community as a whole a more meaningful place to live? And we're going to find true joy and meaning in building relationships with others who are different.
0: Just one small yes. We could tutor. We could do it two days a week. Just one small yes is how God works. What is the small yes that you need to give? What is the small yes today? Yeah, I I could do that. I could greet. I could make coffee. I I could give an afternoon to Path United. I could look at emails from Care Portal, and and there may be one that I could respond to. Jim and Melinda couldn't be with us today, but uh, Sherry Kendall, she'll be at a table after the service. She would love to talk to you about Path United, whether it's volunteer to tutor or whether it's just be able to donate snacks and school supplies we've been connecting we've been collecting school supplies for them over the last few weeks they have an ongoing need snacks and schools maybe that's a small yes you could give small yeses matter starting somewhere matter tomorrow you're going to go to work you're going to drop the kids off you're going to drive through town you're going to maybe see the same people that you saw last week. But maybe God's going to ask for a small yes tomorrow. Go speak to that person. See if that person wants to go to lunch. See a need me to need small yes, small yes, because it's not small in the eyes of Jesus. The one. Who gave the biggest yes ever? The one who gave everything for us and invites us to give small yeses to him. He gave everything, he he sacrificed his whole life. But maybe you remember the the night before that happened, he's with his disciples. He's about to die to redeem all of those who trust him by faith. And he does the smallest, most insignificant task of the room. He takes a towel and a bowl of water, and he washes the disciples' feet. In the last hours of his life, small yes, insignificant thing. And he turned to them, and he turned to us, and, and he said, do this for one another. What I did for you? Saw a need, meet a need? Do this for one another. On that night, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body. Now, this was the body. This is the body that served and loved and cared for 33 years. The eyes that that saw the ones who had been left out, the vulnerable, the broken, and went to them. The body that had time for the... The smallest of conversations with what everyone else thought was the most insignificant people, that body was hung on a cross. And Jesus told his disciples, when you eat this, remember me. then as he prepared to give the full measure of his life and love for us he took a cup and said this is my blood it's going to be shed for you poured out for you because there was no line that Jesus wouldn't cross To bring us into his family. Even when it meant everything. When you do this, he said. Remember him. God, we are grateful. For a Messiah of small yeses. And big yeses. Messiah who taught us to give our lives away. Who demonstrated in the small and in the big. See you need me to need. See you need me to need. Say yes. Don't turn away. Don't look away. Don't wait for somebody else. Say yes. Let it be you. Because that small thing, in the eyes of Jesus, is extraordinary. In his name we pray. Amen.